This episode is brought to you with support from PerfectDailyGrind.com. Perfect Daily Grind, your source for coffee education, articles, videos, and more, from the farm to the cup. So far in this series, we've learned a good deal of coffee history that either clarifies today's price crisis or at least puts it into proper historical context. If you're like me, you've thoroughly enjoyed these episodes on coffee history, but maybe you're struggling to see the point. Today, that history becomes a little more concrete with a guest from an organization with ties deep in coffee price history. The organization is known as the International Coffee Organization, and our guest is its current executive director, Mr. Jose Set. Mr. Set, welcome to the show. Hello, coffee podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Excellent. So, Jose, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up in coffee? It's a long story, Jesse. I graduated from university a long time ago, in 1978. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. My father was a diplomat, but I really didn't want to follow in his footsteps. Mm. I, I was attracted by international affairs, but I only really liked the, the multilateral side. And uh, I really wouldn't have made a, a good diplomat. But I had the opportunity to uh, work in the Brazilian Coffee Institute, which no longer exists. Okay. Was the government agency in Brazil dedicated to the regulation of the Brazilian coffee sector. Mm. And there, since I spoke English well... I was involved in uh, uh, international relations, contacts with other countries, and especially with the ICO. So right from the beginning of my career, the ICO was already in the picture. Okay. At the end of the 70s, it was a time when the ICO played a very big uh, role in regulating the coffee market by setting export quotas, and it was very exciting for someone as young as I was. So you, you were there early on in the early days then uh, already interacting with the ICO. Well, the, the ICO was founded in 1963. So uh, it had been in existence for more than 15 years when mm -hmm. I turned up. Uh, but as I said, uh, it was uh, uh, quite an exciting time. Uh, Smoke-filled rooms uh, uh, deciding the destinies of the world coffee sector Mm -hmm. instead, of, instead of the free market. It's uh, different times. Different times for sure. So what, what is your story of the journey to the position you're, you're in today? You're, you're the executive director of the ICO. How, how did you end up there? I know you've been in this position before. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Uh, this is, uh, will be my 40th uh, year of, the, of my professional career, most of which has been spent in coffee in one way or another. Um, I think a particularly uh, fruitful time that uh, uh, really helped to shape my outlook uh, was my work in the trading department of one of Brazil's largest coffee exporters. This is the late 1980s and early 1990s. So mm -hmm. this gave me a really interesting uh, outlook on the workings of the private sector um, but I've also spent the time outside coffee. Uh, I worked for five years in the Inter-American Development Bank, which is a leading multilateral development agency. 
and also in various uh, trade associations outside the coffee. So all of these experiences uh, uh, gave me a, a, a valuable perspective and uh, uh, helped me with my current uh, uh, work. And uh, in 2007, I came to work at the ICO for the first time. Hmm. I was the head of operations, which is the number two post in the organization from 2007 to 2013. And uh, towards the end of that, I served for one year as acting executive director. And you're back in that position today as as the executive director, correct? Yes, uh, since uh, May of 2017. So you've seen a lot of coffee history happening almost just right before your eyes. And um, with access to really a lot of information concerning how the markets are moving and what's going on um, on a more um, statistical and specific data-driven level. Is that correct? You're making me feel old, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> uh, my apologies. I'm not, <laughs> not trying to do that to you. I've been around for a while, yes. <laughs> well, let's, let's go ahead and talk about the past and the future um, let's talk about this coffee price crisis that we find ourselves in today. So the ICO seems all too familiar with the crises in coffee. How does the current coffee price crisis hold up to crises from the past? Just before we, we I answer your question, um, let me just, my, my last uh, uh, professional appointment before uh, returning here to the ICO in 2017 was at the, I was executive director of the International Cotton Advisory Committee, which is the equivalent of the ICO, but for cotton. And um, this was a very uh, uh, enriching experience for me. There are a lot of similarities, but there are a lot of differences also. And uh, the difference uh, uh, really goes towards answering your question. Cotton is an annual crop. Every year, the grower plants uh, seeds and it uh, springs up and it's harvested. So when prices are bad, then the grower switches, switches quite, uh, it's not uh, as easy as it sounds, but switches to other crops like wheat, like corn, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, coffee is... is that's that those are annual crops uh, coffee is a perennial crop it's a tree crop and that's a very different proposition tree crops once you plant uh, your your tree uh, it will remain productive for i don't know 20 years at least mm-hmm. and I, I always like to compare it to a a marriage which you can't uh, is hard to get out of um once uh, you are uh, um, you have uh, planted the tree and it's producing, uh, to cut down the tree just because prices are low uh, is a bigger step to make. So people, mm. uh, um, instead of uh, actually switching crops, they reduce the the care they take of their plants. They use less fertilizer. Uh, less inputs in general. Now, all of this makes uh, the reaction to prices, whether low prices or high prices, uh, there's a big lag inbuilt uh, to to the reaction. And this is what we're really seeing right now. Prices have been falling for more than two years, and uh, 
so far, uh, the supply really hasn't uh, gone down uh, to, to match the low prices. And mm-hmm. it, so we are, uh, coffee is a cyclical product because of these characteristics as a perennial crop. It's, it's very different from an annual crop. Now, what we're going through today uh, is a typical uh, cycle in terms of the severity. I would say it's not as severe as the one we experienced in 1999 to about 2004, mm-hmm. when prices uh, fell below 50 cents per pound. But... Um, Despite this, this is a very serious crisis, and um, uh, many uh, producers, especially ones with uh, higher costs and lower productivity, are uh, facing a very tough situation. I see. So sort of my follow-up question to that was, um, you know, how does the ICO view the current situation? Is this just a historic bump in the road, so to speak? Or is this a more serious matter um, pointing to deeper problems in coffee? Well, uh, part of the answer is that uh, this is uh, a commodity cycle, a a coffee price cycle. But um, this is uh, no excuse uh, for us to just uh, throw up our hands and uh, do nothing and uh, just think that the the cycle will uh, eventually turn up. Uh, We have to bear in mind the figures uh, vary, but uh, as many as, I don't know, 100 million people all over the world depend on coffee for at least part of their livelihoods. And the coffee growers, and here I'm talking especially about the smallholders, they are the most vulnerable link in the coffee value chain. So times like this, these are opportune uh, moments for all the links in the coffee value chain to reflect in a spirit of shared responsibility on the distribution of benefits within the sector. And I think here the the figures speak for themselves. Uh, The total value of the world coffee sector uh, is uh, estimated at around $200 billion a, a year, I would uh, I would put it at even uh, uh, higher than that. Of this 200 billion, producing countries receive about 20 billion. And if we look at the investments of the industry uh, in sustainability initiatives, they are considerable, but uh, uh, they've been estimated at about uh, 350 million dollars. So mm. um, the 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 numbers I think are are pretty stark. Okay. When, when you say stark, what, what do you mean exactly? Well, it doesn't seem to be a, a very balanced uh, situation, uh, mm. uh, especially when you look at it from the, the grower's uh, perspective. Uh, it's, okay. uh, it's, uh, there are, the solutions are not uh, simple, uh, but uh, I think uh, we all have to come together, like I said, in this spirit of shared responsibility, mm-hmm. try to uh, make sure that uh, all the participants in the value chain uh, are uh, decently remunerated. I, I want to ask you a technical question. It's um, not really in our line of questions that we're going to cover um, but when you say smallholder, do you have a technical definition for that? Depending on the country, this uh, varies. Uh, okay. um, 
Brazil, in Brazil, which where the properties are relatively large, I would think uh, uh, anybody under 10 hectares is considered a smallholder. But okay. for most countries, the, the figure is much lower than that. So we're talking about uh, two hectares, one hectare, something in that, uh, in that kind of uh, range. Got it. My following question is a question about the report um, that y'all recently uh, released. It's available on your website, and we'll link to it. Um, but this is actually, it's an indicator that is used all the time called the ICO composite indicator um, that, that is used to explain situations in the market. So what is this indicator and why is it important to pay attention to it? Uh, the ICO composite indicator is the I think the longest running uh, continuous uh, price series of uh, coffee uh, available. And uh, uh, there are other uh, series available, but they relate to futures prices, which are not uh, always uh, uh, reflective of actual transactions. The ICO indicator is a different animal. It is uh, based on... Um, transactions of physical coffee. So um, every day at the end of the day, we have uh, agents that uh, call up uh, uh, brokers, uh, importers, traders, and uh, uh, ask them the prices of uh, various uh, different uh, varieties, very different uh, coffee types mm -hmm. uh, during the day. Uh, so we have agents both in the U.S., and in Europe, uh, in uh, so in US, it's basically New York, and in Europe, uh, we have uh, agents in Germany and in France. And um, so, all all of this data is collected. It is um, uh, what you call it? we we run statistical uh, uh, tests to make sure it's uh, uh, reliable and consistent, and then we produce the indicator price. So the indicator price, there's one composite indicator, which is kind of an average of the entire market. And there are indicator prices for different groups of coffee, Robusta, the Brazilian Naturals, other Milds, and Colombian Milds. Mm. Okay. Yeah, no, that's helpful because, uh, you know, as a sort of a lay person, you know, I'm in coffee, but I don't understand uh, the technicalities or the technical aspects of some of these reports. And so it's helpful to have that explained uh, in a way that our listeners can now go and they can look at that report and have that in mind as they're looking at it. So thank you for, for going through that. And you kind of mentioned earlier, we're, we're in the second consecutive year of surplus. What, is that, what does that mean on the ground for the global coffee market? Well, it means uh, uh, low prices, and that is uh, really uh, the focus of our attention right now. Uh, low, low prices, uh, they uh, discourage investment uh, in uh, the sector, and they are really a, a herald of uh, uh, problems in the future. And um, as a result, uh, we are engaging in what we call a structured sector-wide dialogue, uh, which, is, which tries to bring uh, a, a very broad range of, uh, of uh, stakeholders, of coffee stakeholders uh, together. So 
uh, apart from our primary sorry about that uh, <laughs> no it's okay it's, uh, siren but uh, uh, apart from our primary stakeholders uh, who are governments uh, we are an intergovernmental organization uh, we are bringing together um, producer associations we are bringing together roasters traders uh, um, uh, NGOs trying to get a, a broad range of uh, minds uh, together to think about uh, possible uh, solutions or at least uh, ways to mitigate the prices, crisis. I see. What would be some of the um, conferences that you're associated with? We hold uh, two regular meetings a year, but as part of this uh, dialogue, we have already organized uh, five different events uh, from March uh, till uh, today. Um, and the culmination of this process, where we really want to get to, is uh, during our annual meeting in September, we are organizing what we call a, a CEO and Global Leaders Forum. Hmm. Uh, where we want to get uh, very high-level representatives to not only discuss the issues, but to uh, uh, come away with some concrete uh, commitments uh, in terms of uh, uh, actions to uh, improve the situation. I see. Okay. Yeah, sort of get the, all the decision-makers in the room and have them make commitments to uh, improve or to mitigate the issues in the coffee sector. Exactly. Got it. Well, let's let's move uh, a little bit more, um, you might say, deeper into the conversation and move towards economic sustainability of coffee has been uh, one of the key conversations. It's what this series uh, is built around uh, on this podcast series. So the ICO is aimed um, to facilitate coffee sustainability by overseeing the international coffee agreements. Like, uh, for example, the IC of 2007 had um, uh, elements of this. W what do you think? Is coffee economically sustainable in its current state? I think we have to, as uh, Jack the Ripper used to say, we have to do things by parts. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one. That's That's good. It doesn't translate well. It's uh, from a uh, Portuguese saying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, let me get back to the... <laughs> right on, yeah. Uh, the coffee sector is not uh, uh, homogenous. Uh, uh, there are some highly efficient uh, producers with high yields high um, and low costs. And uh, here I would especially uh, um, uh, point uh, to uh, Brazil and Vietnam. And uh, uh, there are some uh, other countries that uh, have uh, quite uh, high costs, uh, uh, whether it's because of um, their topography, uh, uh, places where uh, it's uh, very mountainous. These are hard to, to mechanize uh, any of the farming activities. Anyway, so there's there's a big uh, uh, difference uh, uh, in uh, productivity. The people who are more efficient at these price levels, uh, they are hurting, but they 
are not hurting enough to where uh, they will be driven out of the market. I see. Our other higher cost producers, um, depending on their situation um, at these price levels, uh, they... Uh, it's it's uh, not uh, it's not a good place to be in uh, because of the like I said before the perennial nature of the coffee tree. It's uh, hard for them to switch uh, in the short term, but eventually uh, they will switch. And uh, I have a friend who says that. Uh, the only cure for low prices is low prices. And uh, this is a bit of a, um, a harsh uh, kind of a sentiment, I think. Uh, but it's, uh, it's true in the sense that uh, the market mechanism uh, is, has to really be the, the driver here mm. uh, in terms of uh, who grows coffee and who doesn't. But that doesn't mean that... Uh, that there aren't a lot of things that we can do uh, to to improve people's uh, situations. And uh, here I'll just go through a few, but um, we have to focus on increasing uh, productivity. Uh, we want to uh, help uh, farmers to diversify their income. So not that they should give up uh, uh, planting coffee, but they should have uh, they should intercrop with uh, other uh, interesting uh, agricultural products. Um, we need to drive towards the premiumization of coffee, uh, uh, the the specialty market, uh, uh, to to try and have more and more coffee uh, sold as a specialty. Um, we need uh, to make the market more efficient and transparent, and that is uh, one of our uh, main uh, objectives. Uh, uh, by our by, these price series, by the economic studies we produce, all of these are intended to shed light on various aspects of uh, uh, the situation we find ourselves in. Hmm. And um, uh, so that is uh, another part. We have to, I think, promote consumption also. Uh, this is very important. Coffee consumption worldwide, if we take an average, grows about 2% a year. But um, that is... Uh, there are there are very big differences among the markets. Um, in a market like uh, Europe, uh, this is basically a, a mature market, and um, the, the the overall consumption volume, in terms of volume, uh, grows at uh, a slow rate uh, in line with uh, the increase in population. Uh, it's basically a saturated market. Other regions, uh, and uh, here I especially like to to point out uh, uh, Asia. Asia is a really promising uh, market. It uh, is growing somewhere almost to five percent a year. Uh, and here, I think the the big uh, drivers are the increasing uh, uh, disposable income 
and also the the influence of uh, Western culture. It's an as uh, coffee for them is an aspirational drink. Uh, people in China uh, go out on a date and take uh, uh, their lady friend to Starbucks. Um, Hmm. So we are we are in very different uh, situations depending on where we are uh, regionally. Here, uh, I think uh, we have one uh, kind of a, a big mystery for me, which is the USA, which uh, really should um, should be should behave uh, in similarly to uh, Europe. Uh, uh, coffee has been around the US for a long time. Uh, people uh, know about coffee, but in recent years, uh, the, the volume of consumption has grown quite uh, significantly, and we would like to study uh, the reasons for that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I know I'm drinking more coffee than ever, so, you know, well, I, I've contributed for sure. Good for you. <laughs> um, the, the, um, uh, just to, to, for clarification, um, the market in Europe uh, is, is a growth market. It's a growth market in terms of value because people are consuming more and more high-value products, uh, especially pods. Uh, pods are, are very um, – the, the, the markup on pods uh, is uh, very uh, big. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, the U.S. seems to have the best of both worlds. Uh, it is um, – Growing in terms of uh, value, it's diversifying. You have this uh, tremendously uh, vigorous uh, uh, specialty coffee uh, segment, uh, these new forms of uh, preparation like uh, um, cold brew, all these uh, nitrogen infusions, things like that. But at the same time, uh, the U.S. is growing in terms of uh, volume also, which is a very encouraging sign hmm. for us. Well, there we go. And that's a positive impact on the price of coffee for the producer. Is that right? In the term, in the long term, uh, yes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I always like to, when people uh, um, uh, show discouragement with the current uh, situation, I, I always point uh, to this uh, what we just talked about, the, the long-term future is bright, but uh, getting from the short term to the long term uh, is a bit complicated mm. and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit hard to see um, the, the forest for the trees right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Well, don't you think that message is, is really important for the industry if, if you truly believe that the future of coffee is so bright. I feel like that would be a key message, um, obviously with supported facts and, and data, but I feel like that message would be key to um, mitigating the effects today, don't you think? Yes, I think we uh, uh, industry has to, has to look uh, with a very, um, uh, very warmly uh, towards the promotion of consumption. And... Um, in most cases, uh, um, the companies prefer to promote their own brand, and I think this is very understandable. But I think that in some uh, instances, in, in some markets, especially uh, uh, markets uh, that are not uh, fully developed, uh, 
and he especially uh, markets in coffee-producing countries, uh, with the exception of Brazil, uh, there is a merit in uh, trying some uh, um, approaches in terms of a generic promotion of coffee. Um, but this is uh, a complicated uh, discussion, and like I said, uh, uh, most companies um, prefer to focus on their own brands right. rather than mm -hmm. uh, generic promotion. I have a question for you, the listener. What do you personally make of the obviously difficult and complex dynamic of economic mechanics like price, supply, and demand, and its implications on real people like generational small coffee farmers? I'd like to hear your thoughts and give you a real place to share them. I'm personally still landing that plane in my own mind. I'd like for you to reach out to me, and I will select a few of these perspectives on our next episode before the interview. Send me an email at hello at thecoffeepodcast.org and use the subject, my thoughts. If you'd rather do it on Instagram, that's fine. If you want to stay anonymous, please just let me know. I think what is important here is putting our minds together, working together, as Jose mentioned, with his suggested collaborative consumption campaigns for private companies. I look forward to hearing from you. Remember, you can find discounts and further insights on the podcast in our email newsletter. The discounts are mostly fantastic books right now, but I hope to connect with other brands soon to bring you discounts on a variety of coffee things. Music is by Michael Parallax. I'm Jesse Hartman. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, and until next time, happy brewing.